This is the Inside Out Story Podcast, a place where we take you deep into the world of storytelling. Now, here are your hosts, John Booker and Jeremy Casper. Welcome to the Inside Out Story Podcast. I'm John Booker, and I'm interested in why we tell stories. And I'm Jeremy Casper, and I am interested in the how we tell stories. Jeremy, today we're picking up with the second part of our talk on character. Yes. So if you missed the first podcast on character, go back and listen to that before you get into this, uh, because that gives you a good sort of basis and uh, grounding for the talk we're going into today, uh, where we're going to discuss some of the deeper elements of um, what makes a good character. And Jeremy, where I would love to start is with backstory. Most of us, to be quite honest, we just don't put the time and effort into a character's backstory that we should. Um, I had uh, a teacher when I was in uh, grad school working on um, script writing who would make us write uh, a 10-page paper on the backstory of our protagonist before we were allowed to start script writing. And all of us hated it. We just wanted to get right into telling the story of this character. And we kind of wanted to discover their backstory as we told the story. And we felt like it was just not helpful. And all of us uh, ended up writing scripts that we we didn't really know our characters, even by the time we finished their stories. And since then, I have become a huge fan of doing tons and tons of work on a character's backstory, even though I would say 90% or so of the work that I do on a character's backstory never actually appears in the story itself. It's, it's all information for me. It's all stuff that I know about the character that drives their motivations and drives the decisions that they make. Um, so that's a little bit about my process. What what is developing a backstory for a character look like for you? Yeah, uh, it's it's similar, and and I will say that when I first started writing, I used to do very similarly to what you just described uh, the the exercise that your professor had you do, and I would just sit down and I would just write and write and write, and what I would do is I would try to flesh out the history of this character as much as I possibly could. And I would say when you're first starting to write, that's still a really good exercise to do. And I think sometimes even in doing that, even if you're an experienced writer, you discover so much about the characters you do that. Sometimes you even discover the story as you're as you're working through the character's backstory. Or you find a story more interesting than the one that you were originally planning on telling. Um, the only thing that I do a little bit differently now that I've studied story and I, I know how to develop characters is I understand that there are certain things that I have to know about my main character. And sometimes, you know, the fact that they grew up in a different state and had a bad experience on the playground than when they were kids, if that's not crucial to the story, it's fine that I have that information as a writer, but um, be careful to not um, confuse a detailed backstory with a good backstory. Um, when you're developing your main characters, there are certain things that have to be in place. And some of that we talked about in the last session. And the first thing is that that internal flaw, that thing about your character that's broken, um, you have to, as a writer, know what that thing is. And the reason why is because it's that's the thing that you're gonna try to fix over the course of this whole story. That's the thing that's going to give your whole story its heart. 
Now you as an author not only need to know what that flaw is, you need to know where it came about. You need to know what caused it. Uh, so sometimes I'll have students who will write very interesting histories of stories or of characters, but they haven't really told me, well, what's the thing that's broken inside this character and how did that thing come about? You have to remember when you're constructing a backstory that you are constructing the backstory for a character in a story. Uh, which means you kind of have to prep your character to go on the story journey. You have to kind of play psychologist a little bit. So just the, the few things that I know I have to have in place when I'm developing a character's backstory is what's their flaw, what's their uh, the ghost that we sometimes call it. It's the thing that haunts them, um, the shard of glass, some um, uh, story gurus call it. What's the thing that's broken inside of them that needs to be overcome? It's good to know what very specific moment in history caused that thing to happen. And a lot of times, I think, in, in real life, our, our flaws in real life are oftentimes the result of years and years of, of bad experiences or years and years of things that have gone wrong. In cinema, in story, even if we don't see it on the screen, usually the flaw in your main character came about because of one very specific event. Uh, so even in our backstory, we want to be efficient. Uh, so I need to know the flaw, what caused it, and then also I need to know what is my main character doing right at the point that the story starts? What are they doing to what I call medicate that problem? Typically, the main character is, they may be aware of their flaw, but they're not aware of what fix, what's going to fix it, or that they may not even know it needs to be fixed. They just know something's wrong inside of them. And so they medicate in some way. And that medication can be anything from they're an alcoholic to they're a workaholic. Uh, or something in their life is out of balance. Uh, they should maybe go off to the big city and pursue their dream, but they just stay close to family and home because it's safe. And that's their form of medication. So every character has to have a flaw, a reason, and some way that they're medicating the problem at the very beginning. Those three things absolutely have to be in place before your story starts. You know, for me, Jeremy, there is a deep connection between the background and backstory of a character and the theme of the story that I'm Absolutely, going to tell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like um, in knowing the backstory of that character, I know what it is they need to learn or realize yes. over the course of the story. So often, um, you and I have workshop stories with you know hundreds, if not thousands, of different people, and so often we hear you know when we ask what is the story about? Well, this is about a character who realizes the importance of family, right? And and so often, um, new writers really get uh, that confused with their uh, external goal. We'll yes, ask, what's the external yes. goal? And you know, big red flag if your external goal has the word realize or learn in it. It's not an external goal because we can't see someone do that but i used to think that is speaking to the internal goal and it can but really what it's doing is speaking to the theme of the film yes if a character realizes the importance of family that's speaking to the theme mm -hmm. of the film yes if a character learns that it takes a village and you can't do everything by yourself you need other people. If they come to that uh, realization or they learn that lesson over the course of the film, that's the theme of the film. And the only way that that's going to arise is establishing in their backstory that there's a problem there. Yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and John, you've probably heard me say that over and over again in class. It's it's the solution to your main character's problem, their internal problem. It, that's the theme of your film. If your character needs to learn to forgive, then you're telling a story about forgiveness. If your character needs to learn to trust people, then you're telling a story about trust. And that theme should permeate every single scene of your film. Write it on a postcard, keep it in, you know, above your computer. Every scene, even the interactions and B stories and secondary characters, everything should be about this theme of trust or whatever your main theme is. Um, but one of the, the mistakes that we oftentimes see students make, John, and not only students, I see this in Hollywood films too, and it's um, setting up one emotional internal problem at the beginning of the story and paying off a different one at the end of the story. Mm. Um, and it's so funny. Every time I tell students that that's such an easy mistake to make, they all kind of laugh and shake their heads and like, well, that's ridiculous. Who would ever do that? And I'm amazed at how many students do it. I'm amazed how often I do it where I will get to the end of my film and I've got what I think is this big emotional payoff where I've, I've got this character learning something, realizing something, basically, which means they discover the theme of the film. And then I realize, but that's not really what I set up at the beginning of the film as their problem. Here's an example. And I love this film. Here, here is an example of a problem in a film I love. I love the original Pitch Perfect. I think yeah. it's it's a great film. I, I always have a good time when I watch that film. At the very beginning of the film, they set up this internal problem between the main character, Becca, and her father. Mm-hmm. There is this, this seems to be this wound. He is uh, uh, dating someone new. You know, he has a new girlfriend, and, and Becca makes comments about that. And there seems to be a breach in their relationship, right? Over the course of the story, he just kind of offhandedly mentions to her at the beginning of the film, look, you know, to join one of these clubs and if, if it doesn't work out, you know, I'll pay for you to go to L.A. and do whatever you want to do. And she ends up, you know, joining one of the clubs and it works out well and she, you know, finds these women who become her sisters in life and all this. And that's great. But that's not what we set up at the beginning, you know. We set up at the beginning repairing this breach between her father and her. And, you know, everything seems to be okay with her dad once she's kind of found this sisterhood or whatever. But to me, that's paying off something we didn't really set up. Because, you know, she's got some deep wounds between her and the father. And we never really deal with that. That's not what the film's about. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's again, it's, even in a Hollywood film, it's such an easy mistake to make. Um, and I think that sometimes that's a really good place to start if you've written a script and it just doesn't feel right at the end of the story. And you're like, man, I, I feel like I've got this big emotional ending that works, but why does it feel so flat? Why doesn't it seem to be paying off? I think the first question to ask yourself is, well, is that the problem you set up at the beginning of the film? Is that the thing that you subconsciously told your audience, this is what we're going to deal with? This is what this film is going to be about? And if halfway through your film you change your theme, you lose steam, you lose momentum, you lose your audience. Mm. Um, so really good place to start. D- does my beginning match my my ending? And I always say that the, the beginnings and endings of stories should be like verb tenses in a sentence. They need to agree with each other. Did you pay off what you set up? Storytelling is all about setting up and paying off, setting up and paying off. And you want a good ending to to pay off this brilliant, brilliant beginning that you structured at the at the start. You know, the other thing I want to talk about when it comes to backstory is so often 
people, you know, come up with lists of physical characteristics, you know, about the mm-hmm. character, and, th- and that's great. That's yeah. that's fine. Um, people come up with all these little incidents or or things in a character's backstory that really don't have anything to do with what the character will deal with in the story. Right. And to me, there's a fine art of creating a backstory of character yes. that everything you establish is actually going to have some sort of bearing on the person they are in the story. Absolutely. Not, not as you mentioned earlier, just coming up with random details about the characters. If the character has green eyes, great. But what does that have to do with anything you know that's happening in the course of the story unless um you know they're going to meet a woman who's always wanted a man with green eyes right um i don't know you know how much it matters i i've been guilty of this myself i'll develop pages and pages and pages of backstory on a character that really will end up having no bearing on who this character is it doesn't mean that every incident in the backstory has to show up in the story But everything in the backstory needs to somehow play into who the character is in your story. Absolutely. And I think that that's that's one of the reasons why I'm not completely out on the exercise of just having students or or, or writers just kind of emotionally vomit and just get stuff out of the page. I think that's a way to discover a character. But when you're coming to the the point of actually constructing your character's backstory, backstories actually are are very specifically crafted just like a story. And I think one of the ways to learn how to do a backstory is learn how to tell a story. Mm. You've got to know, well, what are the things I have to know about my character in order to take them on a journey? What are the things that have to be in place? And I think a lot of good character development, a lot of good backstories is actually backwards engineering of characters. Mm. It's like this is the story I want to tell, and I want to tell a story about. Uh, I want to tell a story about fear, about a character overcoming fear. Well, all right, so we now know kind of what the theme of the film is going to be. Um, so let's backwards engineer that. What's the specific moment in your main character where fear became, a, um, um, you know, a disability for them? It became. Um, something that they had to overcome. So once you know what you have to have, it helps constructing that backstory a lot easier. And it actually makes it a lot simpler. Because if you end up with 10, 15 pages of just random information about a character, that really doesn't help you a whole lot. But if you've got three or four paragraphs that answer all the necessary questions about a character, you may have a a lot more powerful of a document there than your 15 pages of just emotional puke. (laughs) Yeah, you know, one of the things that we say almost every time we speak about character is that probably, if not the most important, one of the most important things you can come up with in the backstory of that character is how does this character solve problems? Yes. Because if the character solves problems by blaming other people, Mm -hmm. then that's going to play into who they are and how they deal with the situations that arise in your story. If the character solves problems by uh, playing an ostrich and ducking their head in the sand or, or denial and acting like they don't exist or running to their parents to try and get help, however this character deals with problems... Yes. That may be the most important thing we need to know coming out of the backstory. And that's going to be a psychological issue for the character, Mm -hmm. not just, uh, uh, you know, an issue. You can say, well, they blame other people for their problems because they did that once when they were in elementary school and it worked out so well for them. That's great if you have a specific instance that caused it. I don't know that that's as important as knowing at the end of the day, whenever things really get rough, for this character when things hit the fan for this character they duck their head in the sand 
That's what we need to know. Absolutely. Yeah. There are, I'm glad you brought that up too, John, because there are two questions that, uh, in addition to the backstory of my main character, there are two questions that I have to answer about not only my main character, I actually need to answer about every single character in the A story of my film. Uh, this is especially true if you are uh, if you're developing television series or or, or um, you know um, web series uh, thing, uh, stories that have really important secondary characters. Um, ask these two questions of every character in your story. And the first question is, how do they solve problems? What specific way do they say solve problems? Like John said, do they put their head in the sand? Or do they, uh, are they a fight or a flight kind of person? How do they solve problems? Establish that. And then the second question that I answer about every character in my film is, what is their specific opinion or worldview, if you will, regarding the theme of the film. Mm. For example, if the story I'm telling is a story about forgiveness, well, what does forgiveness look like for the main character? How do they quantify forgiveness? Does forgiveness, does forgiveness occur when you just speak the words? Doesn't matter how your heart feels, it's just when you say the words, that's forgiveness. Maybe for another character, forgiveness cannot happen until your heart changes. Um, all that to say that these two questions I should have different answers for each of these questions for every single character. No character in my story, no two characters should share the same answers. And the reason why is because if I've got five characters who all have the exact same opinion, exact same worldview of the theme of the film, and they all solve problems in the same way, and I put them in a room together, what's going to happen? We're all going to get along. Everything's going to be great. <laughs> But if I put five people in a room who all solve problems differently, and they all have a slightly different opinion about the worldview of the, uh, or the opinion of the theme of the film, now we've got conflict and we can actually explore in depth the theme of the film. Mm. Uh, that's good stuff. Um, I, I, I'm thinking back, you know, to, to some of the, uh, uh, <laughs> the, the films that were really pivotal in my own storytelling journey. Um, you know that that caused me to think about backstories and you know what what happened uh, with with certain characters, what caused them uh, to be the way that they are. And one of the films that immediately always springs to mind to me uh, for me is E.T. Um, we have this character Elliot, and we have <laughs> a scene early on in E.T. where Elliot. Um, gets into an argument with the rest of his family about his father. What's interesting to me, and, and I know that you, you've spoken quite a bit about this before, Jeremy, but what's interesting to me is the father is a major character in this story, but we never see him. We only yeah. see the aftermath of what he did. Yeah. We only see how it's affected everyone. And what what's great about, you know, that particular scene when Elliot gets into a fight with his mother and his brother and, uh, you know, in the, the, the kitchen area uh, about, you know, the father going to Mexico with his new girlfriend is in that one scene, we get backstory on every character there. Every character there, the his brother Michael obviously has a relationship with the dad where he's like, hey, we know this about dad, but we don't say it to mom because that'll hurt mom. Uh, 
we know that mom is still really hurt by the fact that dad left her for this other woman and that he hates Mexico <laughs> and she, you know, she's upset. Uh, even little Gertie, we see, you know, Gertie's uh, reaction that she doesn't really understand, you know, what yeah. happened and what's going on. And with Elliot, we actually see anger, you know, uh, mm-hmm. about this situation. Um, I think it's one of the most brilliant uses of backstory, especially with a character that we never see. If I was writing the backstory of Elliot, I would have written two or three pages about his father leaving the family and what that means. And, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing is, we don't know how the father left the family. You know, was it was it one night he came home and told everybody he was leaving? Did this happen over a slow course of time? Did him and the mother get divorced and then he start dating this new one? We don't have a ton of details, but we don't need them. Yeah. We're able to feel the emotion of every character and every character's backstory somehow is tied together and combines in this single scene because of how they solve problems in this scene Elliot deals with it head on he's not afraid to bring it up and say dad's in Mexico with Sally yeah (laughs) um you know the brother obviously is a head in the sand guy who's like hey don't bring that up don't we don't talk about problems you know the the mother is the uh you know person who's going to um uh, kind of do a subtle backhanded thing of where she, you know, tries to smile and put on right. her best face, but says he hates Mexico. Right. Right. You know, so we see every character's approach to solving problems in that singular scene, and we get so much backstory for all of them. And it's such a short scene. Such a short. scene. It doesn't scene. take long at all, but it uh, it just really packs a huge emotional punch. Uh, and I think that's interesting too, John. I can't remember now what film I did this with, but uh, I, I, I wish I could remember the film. But I went through the film and actually timed the uh, amount of screen time that was actually spent specifically talking about internal, the internal struggle of the main character. And it was minutes of the film, John. Mm-hmm. I was actually really surprised at how little time was actually devoted to it, even though we sense it and feel it through the whole film. Mm. Um, and I think that's a big mistake that writers make sometimes is they think audiences need a lot more information than they really do. Mm. Really, all I need to know is this family, they were abandoned by their father in E.T. Yeah. yeah. I don't really need much more than that. Yeah. I kind of got it. Yep. I get the struggle. And I, I didn't experience that as a child, and I still don't need much information. I got it. <laughs> this is a bad situation <laughs> for everybody, yeah. you know? And I, I think that we as writers can get so verbose and we waste so much time on things that we think are so important, so critical. But when we do that, we're actually not giving our audience the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Our audience is smart. Yeah. <laughs> Trust them. And again, the theme of a father leaving a family, pretty universal theme. Yeah. You know, Even for children who haven't experienced that, they can imagine what it would be like if dad wasn't around. Yeah. Something we all get or we fear. Yeah. It's interesting to hold that film up next to, say, Back to the Future. Mm. Marty McFly. Another amazing (laughs) film. (laughs) Yeah, Marty McFly. Um, We have another scene very similar to E.T. where the family's in the kitchen eating dinner together. And we see everybody's backstory comes into play. The, The... 
poor decisions that George McFly has made in his life. Uh, you know, the the fact that the mother feels like she made a bad decision in picking George. <laughs> Everybody's backstory comes to play in that single moment. And we learn about the enchantment under the sea dance. And, yeah. you know, is, is, there's something about backstory and food. <laughs> I feel like right. maybe I should make it my mission to explore exactly what that is. <laughs> but these families eating meals together seem to be a prime opportunity yeah. for some exposition about backstory. Maybe that's something to remember. I don't I, know. No, I think it's actually a really good point, John. One of the things we tell our directing students to do all the time is if you have to have a dialogue scene, don't make it two people sitting on a couch talking to each yeah. other. Give them something to do. Actors love that. It just makes the, the scene more cinematic. And what is a, a what is there a more natural place where a family actually would engage in some conversation? If they're going to talk at all, yeah. when are they going to do it? It's probably when they have to face each other at the table over dinner. Um, so I, I I like that. Let's. I think you should write a book about that. Uh, <laughs> well, dinner it, and internal <laughs> internal struggles. Well, you know what? It, it just it made all of a sudden all these examples popped in my head. Actually, uh, of us talking yeah. about that, I think about the film American Beauty. Yeah. Uh, when Kevin Spacey's character, you know, is is having dinner and they're listening to the Lawrence Welk music and yeah. you know the uh, the wife and the and all the backstory comes to the, the table where she obviously the wife has been making them listen to Lawrence Welk every night you know at dinner and the daughter it just all the backstory of these three characters comes to play when the family sits down to have a meal together and man it explodes yeah even in uh even in jurassic park <laughs> the first the first jurassic park when do they actually talk about the themes of the film when does ian malcolm go off on his his rants and and when does it all come to a head it's, it's food, when they're all sitting around it's dinner food. and eating the chilean sea bass <laughs> <laughs> it's food man it's food absolutely there yeah there's some connection about backstory internal themes and food there's uh there, there's probably a lot more that could be said there we need to research that absolutely well and i think too that and I, I think this is a mistake that filmmakers can make but oftentimes what do we see a lot of beginning filmmakers do they want to tell you know these little independent films about you know people sitting around in diners you know drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes and you know whatever but there's there's truth to it you know these these commun these are communal experiences that we share together eating drinking coffee going to bars and so they are just natural places for for scenes of exposition to take place. And exposition is not a bad thing. You just have to know how to do it well. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's move forward. We've talked quite a bit about you know a character. Food. <laughs> I'm kind of getting hungry now. <laughs> right, right. Uh, we've talked to quite a bit about uh, the backstory of the character. Let's talk a little bit about how you reveal character over the course of the story itself, because. I've noticed in a lot of, of writers' minds, uh, these things become very segmented. You have the backstory, and we're going to have this scene where we where we reveal backstory about the character. Then we're going to have them do all this action. Then we're going to stop the action. We're going to reveal a little bit about why they do what they do, and then we're going to continue the action. And you know, uh, the character is going to go back over the external goal. And weaving those things together is, is there's a fine art to that. Absolutely. You know, I, I think that just to, uh, I think this is a good bridge from what we were talking about last, John, uh, because just to reiterate, exposition, not bad. Right. It's, it's in fact, you have to have exposition in a film, especially in a, in a if you've got two hours to tell a full story, you've got to, you've got to have characters who are telling us what's going on. That's just part of it. 
you don't want to rely on it. But just to say, it's very common and typical when we are initially setting up the backstory of a main character, it's very common that that is initially done through some dialogue conversation. And usually it's it's done in just a line or two of dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, that that offhanded comment of, oh, remember what happened so-and-so, you know, to so-and-so a few years ago, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And just that one line of dialogue really paints a very vivid picture for us. Um, so we don't have to do a lot of exposition, but typically backstory is not shown in a film. It's just given to us really briefly in a line or two of dialogue at the very beginning of the film. If we do see the backstory, that moment that caused our character to break, that caused them to have this flaw, it's it can be done in flashback, which I don't recommend, but it's usually the first scene of the film. Mm-hmm. We, we start off when the main character was a child, mm-hmm. and we see this horrible thing that happened to them. Shallow Hal, perfect example, yeah. you know, of, of uh, little Hal, you know, walking into the hospital room and watching his dad die, and his dad gives him really bad advice while he's under the <laughs> influence of morphine. Um, and then uh, that sets us off, you know, under the story. Not all stories start off in the in the history, the past of the characters. So, you know, another way you could have done that story is just a line of dialogue, you know, by a character. So I think that's initially one of the first things you do to sort of begin establishing um, backstory and how you weave that into into the narrative. You have to be careful with this, but I've seen it also done very well with some sort of physical attribute of the character. Uh, point in case uh, being the, the Joker. Um, you know, yeah. and we're talking about Heath Ledger's Joker in the, yeah. the Dark Knight films. Um, wow. I mean, you know, there's such an amazing uh, backstory with, with uh, you know, how uh, the Joker got hit, kind of his signature smile. <laughs> um, and it, 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 what's important about it to me is that it plays in wonderfully uh, to why the Joker's doing what he's doing now. Yeah. Not just who the Joker is as a basic character, but it's actually playing into the actions that the Joker is taking right now. Yeah. And I think that's that's another very difficult thing to do, but so helpful if you can, is let's not just talk about who this person is, but why are they saying the things they're saying, making the decisions that they're making now in yeah. this story? Why now? I think with the Joker, too, uh, one thing that's brilliant about that character is we get this backstory um, about where this his smile came from, and it kind of explains why he would be the person that he is. But then a few scenes later, we get a different backstory, and then a different backstory, and he keeps retelling the story differently every time. And that's that's... I mean that was done very intentionally yeah. by the writers. Yeah. That was not a throwaway. That wasn't to be cool or yeah. or be interesting. Uh, that reveals a great deal about this character. And one of the main things it reveals is is just the flaw in yeah. this character's argument that uh, there's something deeply broken about this main character. Yeah. Um, so again, not not just to, to have a one off and make a really cool character, but uh, but and, and that's a case where we revisit the backstory several yeah. times, and each time we're like, well, is it a lie or truth? I don't know. It becomes very compelling yeah. and interesting. I, I wonder, actually, in that film, um, do we learn more about the Joker from Alfred than we do from the Joker himself? Because, you know, isn't it Alfred that, that utters the classic line about some men just want to watch the world burn? Um, was that 
think so. Alfred, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been a little while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I feel like you know, through through lines like that, maybe that's a better explanation for who the Joker is. Absolutely. Than any of the explanations he gives for himself. Yeah, because after his second explanation for himself, the first thing you realize as an audience is I can't trust this guy. Right. I, I can't trust anything he says. Uh, which is a which is a, a really great thing for the audience to take with them into that story. It yeah. makes it very powerful. Um, so so yeah, just to sort of build on that, John. I think that uh, you know revealing backstory, um, it, it it needs to be done very efficiently. It usually happens very early on in the story. Granted, in the last podcast, we talked about how uh, Silence of the Lambs is a little different, mm-hmm. but we did establish some internal need at the right. very beginning of the film. Yeah. Uh, in terms of how to sort of weave this journey, you know, through the course of, of the rest of the film, uh, one of the, the biggest mistakes, John, that I see writers make is I can't tell you how many feature scripts that I have read that the writer will hand over to me and they think it's a complete script. They think, here's the script, I've got the whole story, I've got a beginning and a middle and an end. And I read the script and what they actually have is a beginning and the first half of a second act. Mm. And then maybe a real quick ending. Mm. And I and I don't know about you, John, but when I read scripts, I think we talked about this last time too, it's usually about two-thirds of the way through the script is usually when bad scripts start falling apart. <laughs> yeah. And I think the reason why is because most people do not realize how crucial and important the second half of the second act actually is. Yeah. It really is your story. You spend the first act setting everything up. The second act is your character pursuing the goal and things tend to be going well for the character. But it's the second half of the second act when that character is actually truly challenged uh, in what they are learning and what they believe. It's the most important part of the story, and it's oftentimes the part part that never even makes it into the script. Mm. And so I think that you know, talking about how do you weave this internal journey into the story, you have to keep in mind that every single thing that your character encounters throughout the story, first half of the second act or the second half of the second act, is everything should be challenging this lesson that they're supposed to be learning. Uh, it should be pushing them in that area. The first half of the second act, they tend to be doing well with the tests that are coming along. They actually aren't in real life, but it appears that way. Um, they're getting lucky. Um, the test wasn't really that hard. They were able to rely on their friends to help them get through it. They're not really learning the lesson. The second half of the second act is when you start taking the crutches away from the main character. It's like, okay, main character, you've had the first half of the second act to try to deal with this problem on your own. How you doing? Let's mm-hmm. let's really test you here. Let's see what happens when we take your friends away from you. How do you do now? Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens when we take your mentor away from you. How do you do mm-hmm. now? Let's see what happens when we take all your weapons away from you. How do you do now? Mm. Let's see how you do when finally at the very end you have to face the bad guy face to face with all these things removed from you. Now how are you gonna do? Mm. All these things should be moral tests the main character is facing that all have to do with the theme of the film. Mm. And what's the theme of the film? It's the answer to the character's internal struggle. So these are all things that we have to know before we write one sentence of our script. So, you know, one way that I approach um, trying to play out uh, a character's uh, backstory and, and who they are through the action, you know, of the film, it, it goes back to something my mother told me when I was growing up in the woods of East Texas, my friend. <laughs> East Texas is, has woods? <laughs> oh, it's, yes. uh, they do there. Yes, they do. They do. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> she used to say that. To really find out what's inside a bottle, you have to push it over. 
And when you push over a bottle, my friend, you find out what's inside of it. And that is how we reveal what's inside of a character. That's a good good analogy. Yeah. <laughs> you, you have to push them over, and something has to push them over. Absolutely. And the best somethings to push them over are people. Absolutely. So I feel like the best way to reveal character is through other people, mm-hmm. whether it's uh, through their friends, through their enemies, um, through the people they meet on the street. Uh, the the best way to see what's inside someone, what's inside someone's head, is to cause them to interact with with different types of people, um, because we we all see that in our own lives. You interact with different people differently. You interact with your family one way. You interact with strangers on the street another way. You interact with the person who serves your Subway sandwich one way. You interact with the person who has been a childhood nemesis another way. And you interact with your dearest friends a different way. And you you have all these different personas. And your character, in some sense, should also have different personas, depending on how they're interacting with these other characters. So, for me... Um, you know, you know, this is you have your character at the center of this web, but then you've got to start weaving out from this character um, into other characters, so that we can see how the character interacts with others. And you know, we will do a podcast at some point on secondary characters because they're so important. They're not just throwaways that we, uh, you know, can just pepper into our story in order to make things more interesting. It's very important in accomplishing what we're trying to accomplish with a character who's trying to reach a goal to have the right characters with them and opposing them in order to bring out of them what they need. Absolutely. And I think another thing that uh, is important to keep in mind is, like you said, John, that, that this these these trials, that these tests, if you will, that are coming about in the main character's life, anytime those can come from people, that, that's, that's where drama comes from. And that's what's interesting to watch. When it comes from the environment, not quite as interesting. Um, one of the biggest mistakes, though, that I see writers make is they're not mean enough. To their main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many times have I read scripts where a, a student will cut out of the scene just as it was getting interesting? It's like, oh, they're about ready to, these two characters are really about ready to get into it, and this is going to be fascinating, and their worldviews are going to be revealed, and I'm going to understand what's going on, and oh, we end the scene, and suddenly we cut out to another scene. <laughs> and so one of the things that I, I tell writers all the time is you have to be cruel <laughs> to your main character. Now, you don't want to be cruel randomly. You want to pick very specific tests, very specific situations that are going to challenge this, this, this established weakness in this main character. So if your main character is struggling with forgiveness, then the tests that they're encountering all throughout the film should be challenging that. So don't start testing them in areas of fear and trust and that sort of thing, because that's not the lesson they need to learn. Uh, but pick the harshest ones, the ones that are cruel, the ones that have very high stakes. Uh, you you got to step out of yourself and, and, and be brutal. You know, I think that's one of the biggest challenges for a writer is I know in my life I've learned a lot more from the failures, from the missteps, from the accidents, from the problems than I have from the successes. Yet we live in a country that almost insists upon a happy ending. So if we're going to give a happy ending to our story, which, you know, 
to be commercial, you know, if you're trying to to enter your your writing into a, a main place distribution, you know, like like cinema or, or the web, most people are wanting a happy ending. And if you're going to try and play the happy ending game, we're going to have to have the character fail along the way before they get there. We're going to have to see the character uh, make some big mistakes. The sort of mistakes that are big enough you learn from them. Because honestly, sometimes I've made mistakes that the consequences weren't large enough for me not to try the same thing again. And sometimes I have uh, swung at the exact same pitch uh, that was thrown <laughs> at me before uh, the same way. But if, you know, uh, if the, the problem leaves a mark on the character, they'll remember it next time and they'll deal with it differently. And I think that is, is a, a really important um, uh, characteristic to develop. Uh, and your protagonist is that they're able to learn from their mistakes. There's someone who uh, has good problem-solving skills where they can take the lesson from uh, a misstep and apply it differently uh, to a future situation. Um, and that takes a smart character. It takes a character that knows themselves well enough to, to do that. And if you're going to have a character who's that smart, uh, you sure need to be that smart as a writer to be thinking and planning ahead and develop that in your character. And that takes time. Yeah, and I think that uh, John talking about the happy endings too, this whole idea of um, you know a character learning from their mistakes, that's something that we want to have peppered throughout the entire film. But sometimes that's how you end the film. It's in when we talked about that, I think, in one of our first podcasts about the different types of endings that you can have with your films. And one of the endings that you can have is that that positive, ironic ending where the character actually fails at accomplishing their goal, the thing they were trying to to achieve. But they changed on the inside. They became a better person. And that's, in, in my opinion, one of the most commercially sound yet humanly honest endings that you can have to a film because we resonate with that we get it we've had those experiences in life where things did not turn out the way that we thought they were going to but you know what we're glad we went through the experience anyway it's it's a good thing i can resonate with that it feels honest people like it and it sells tickets (laughs) it's indiana jones and the last crusade he does not walk out of the desert with the holy grail uh he does walk out of the desert uh, with a stronger relationship with his father, and that breach has been repaired. But man, aren't we glad we went on this journey with Indiana Jones, regardless of whether or not he walks away with the Holy Grail? Um, to me, that that is you know perfect example of box office popcorn glory. Um, you know that we feel very satisfied, and maybe that's the 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 thing we should mention at this point is. It may not be as important that your ending is a happy ending as much as it is a satisfying mm-hmm. ending. Yeah, we talk about giving your audiences what they want, but in a way that they didn't expect. And if you think about the ending of uh, The Last Crusade, when uh, when uh, Sean Connery is holding uh, uh, Indiana Jones's hand and is about ready to perilously, you know, perilously fall off into the abyss. And he, he says, Indiana, you know, let it go. Don't don't reach for the grail. Let it go. There's not one part of me as an audience member that's 
that's thinking, no, Indiana, go for the grail. <laughs> you know, every bit of me is like, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. Your dad is so much more important than this. And when he doesn't achieve his goal at the end of the film, I still feel completely satisfied at the end of that movie. I didn't, no one walked out of that theater going, but he didn't get the grail. That was stupid. <laughs> you know, we left fully satisfied after seeing that movie. It's considered one of the best of the, of the trilogy or, well, I, Four films, I guess, technically, but of no, the you, trilogy. You, you said it right. <laughs> okay. Of, of the trilogy. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I do think it, it can be uh, a, a, a very, very moving way to go, you know, to see a character not accomplish their external goal if we can uh, show that they've responded to that in a way that they've grown, that they've learned something, that they've arced that they've changed that can be tricky maybe this last little bit of the podcast jeremy we could talk about that you know how do we show uh growth in a character at the end of the film you know i think it's so easy to want to show a character at the beginning of the film deal poorly with the situation and then mirror that same situation at the end and show the character uh deal with the same situation differently and that can be very effective but in, in also, a short film, especially, I think. Yeah, in a short, short film, film, especially. Um, but I think it can be lazy writing. Yeah, also, I agree. Because what I am most moved by is by seeing the character subtly reveal to me that they've changed. I I don't necessarily need to see well. Uh, last time they were in this situation, they chose door A, and now they choose door B. That's great, but honestly. A character could make that decision and not have changed. They might just decided, wow, last time I went through door A, I fell off a cliff, so I'm going to pick the next door. And if that doesn't work, I'll pick the next door. It doesn't necessarily show they've learned anything, that they have realized anything, or that they have grown in any way. I want to see that they choose door B because they now understand why doors A and C were problematic. Yeah, I I agree. And I think that to use the analogy of door A and door B, um, if I see a character choose door A at the beginning of the film and that didn't work out so great, at the end of the film, there's really only one other option. It's, It's door B. Yeah. Where's where's the 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 uh, satisfaction? Where's the drama? Where's the lesson in that? You know, that's that's just like you know, touching the stove and getting burned, and just saying, well, I won't touch the stove again. Yeah. Um. Th- yeah. The, the you want your your moral arguments to be more complex, and I think one way that you do that, John, is oftentimes what the character has to do, or especially what they have to learn. I should say that they're not as aware of it as as it's not as conscientious as a door A and door B. It's much more subtle. The internal journey, it's the its the one thing in the film, that's the part of the film we feel. Um, when we talk about external journeys of main characters, man, we get so specific with making sure it's super clearly defined and making sure it's super cinematic and it has to be so specific. And technically that's true with the internal story as well, but it should never feel that way. Mm. It should feel much more complex. And it is something, just like I said earlier, maybe only a few minutes of screen time is actually devoted to the internal struggle of the main character, but I feel it throughout the, it permeates the entire film. A good ending, like like E.T., for example, that's an ending that we feel. Mm. It's just E.T. getting on a spaceship and going home. That's all it is. Yeah. But we feel it so deeply. 
Um, and, and also, that's you may not even recognize it at first, but very specific cinematic actions and things Elliot did at the end of the film actually fully and completely resolve uh, the, the tests that he's been going on throughout this whole film. But Elliot has no idea that he's, he's passing the test. He has no idea he's choosing the right thing. He's just choosing from his heart. And he's choosing it from a heart that's changed. Mm. So... Well, speaking of feelings, uh, how you feeling? You feel like uh, we uh, we've we've scratched the surface a little bit on this idea of character. I think so, and you know, I think it's interesting, John. When we first started teaching about character development, I'll never get forget the first lecture I did years and years ago on character development. And I thought, man, I, I can only talk about this for about 20 minutes. <laughs> and now, character development, we do two full lectures on it, and we still don't even scratch the surface. It's yeah. one of the most important parts of storytelling, and and it just takes it takes learning how to tell a story to learn how to develop a character. Yeah, yeah, it does. And on that note, this is the Inside Out Story Podcast. Keep telling stories. For more information on the story, the host of the show, upcoming speaking engagements and seminars, visit our website at theinsideoutstory.com. The Inside Out Story Podcast is a production of Sideshow Media Group.